Today we talk and laugh a lot with poet Ayo Kunli Falomo, known to his slam poetry fans as Ayo. We chat about the inspiration for his urgent and iconic poem, Black Boy Joy. Ayo schools us on the question of how we as writers should appeal to young readers. Answer, start by listening to them. And all your questions about cultural appropriation and shitty poetry will be answered. Well, at least asked. These are the books that help us feel better when when all the adults are telling us <laughs> shit is real bad. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> Everything is. <laughs> Newsflash, news it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't know why you're slouchy when you're, you Resting body. Slouch <laughs> <laughs> face. That's what I have. Yeah, school psychologists are always in demand. Uh-huh. Uh, which is good, but also like not good because that means there's a shortage of people. Right, so, that means when you get yeah. back, you get burned out fast. Because exactly. there aren't enough of you. Yeah. yeah. Just like how philosophers are in demand. <laughs> <laughs> Just like it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Okay. I'm Jessica Cole. I'm Fulu. I'm Kate Martin-Williams. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers. For writers. Ayokunli Falamo's poetry is not meant to be read only. It is performed. It is rapped. At times, it is sung. It is felt. He has two books out. The first book is a collection of poetry called Thread This Word Weaver Must in a second book, which is a memoir of sorts, called Kindred. Born in Nigeria, he writes movingly about coming to the U.S. at age 17 with his father. He grapples with identity, the notion of home. He talks about what it means to inhabit a black body. He writes about what is in us that draws us apart as solitary beings, but also what pulls us back together, what it means to share a common humanity. I first heard Ayo at a public poetry event at Stimley Blue Ridge Library in Southwest Houston. It has been a summer of poetry at my house, and still, when I came home from the event, all I could think about was reading more of his poetry, being moved all over again, telling my family about it, the way you come home from a concert buzzing with the impulse to move, to sing, to be moved again. Ayo Kunli, we're so happy to welcome you on the show today. Thank you for having me. That's a wonderful introduction. <laughs> we're, wow. we're, uh, we're grateful to have you on the show. Uh, do you care to start with a poem? Uh, Mind yeah. to yes. read us in? I'll start with the poem Black Boy Joy. Um, this black boy be a matchbox watch. As wonder a matchstick strikes itself across my body and my face lights up. Like someone just turned on a switch in a room saturated with darkness so heavy like a mother about to give birth or like the sky on a cloudy day heavy with rain. My smile is a wildfire even the rain cannot quell. I parade my alive, dance on the streets and the rain knows to stay in. Watch how my smile catches on, how easily it jumps onto the nearest human. I am nothing 
but a delicate flower in life, yeah. Life must be a butterfly. The way it perches on the petals of my brain and remains there until it transforms itself into a sculptor and carves out of my wood face a shape that mimics the crescent of a moon. My smile, like my mother's laughter, is an act of defiance. The way it sits on my face in protest, in spite of the sour that life can sometimes be. It doesn't always make sense, does not always belong where it chooses to show up. It at times is an uninvited, unwanted guest, too loud, too bright, too inviting of a detractor, stone it down a little, too suspicious like black boy. What you got on? A smile? Like, I wonder where you got that from? Like, I just don't think it's possible for anyone to be that happy, you know? And I say, I woke up this morning, you know? I woke up with my alive ironed and starched. I put it on, stand outside a balcony, and I say with a smile on my face, look at me, world. Look at me. My alive looks so good on me. I look through pictures of me as a boy, and the smile I have on now is my attempt to make up for the years I did not, for the years I did not know how to, for the years I did not know I could. It's my way of declaring my here, my alive, still, until I am still and alive and here no more. Mm. Black Boy Joy, can you, can you tell me the inspiration for that? Black Boy Joy. Uh, so the main inspiration is Chance the Rapper. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of started this movement you know black boy joy pretty much it was like a series of it started it uh i think it was like another an award show uh pretty much just being himself uh so they shot you know photos of him or whatever uh just smiling and just enjoying life and so it became kind of a thing you know with the hashtag black boy joy and you know black men you know would post pictures of themselves just being joyful and smiling uh which is rarely seen but especially after that time that became a thing Mm -hmm. uh and i'm a huge fan of chance the rapper and also it was about this time that i was turning 26 and usually you know each birthday is kind of a significant moment in my life so i'm always like reflecting and sometimes a poem comes out of that so i was trying to work you know this poem for year 26 black boy joy happened at the same time that this you know that i was about to turn 26 so that kind of became the poem uh it's actually a combination of like there's another poem in there that i had written like earlier uh for my mother that portion about my smile Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. that was like already written for my mom like maybe a year or two before then so i just kind of picked and just kind of mashed it together and there's also another major inspiration in there. Christopher Diaz is my friend, uh, also a Houston poet. And he's also a huge fan of Chance the Rapper. Mm-hmm. And he has this poem that's called uh, On Hanging Up the Uniform. That's about his experience being, being a veteran. The last 
thing it says in the poem is like, look, I am both alive and living and look at how good this looks on me. Mm-hmm. So I borrowed mm-hmm. that uh, for mm-hmm. myself, uh, which is that portion was like my life looks, looks so good, good on, on me. me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. those are kind of the two Love major inspiration for, for the poem. But also there's like other people that I'm influenced by, you know, in there. Bill Moran is another person in the poem. Zachary Caballero is another person in the poem, just somewhere. That their voices kind of talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, I love all of the inspirations, and you're pretty explicit about them in Kindred that we get. There's epigraphs throughout the book. You have the E.E. Cummings epigraph, Joy Was His Song and Joy So Pure. Yeah, I want Um, that on my epitaph. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's good. good. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but then the, at the reading you mentioned at the public poetry series you mentioned Jay-Z and yeah. um, in Kanye researching West, yeah. yeah and Kanye and then Dennis Smith which yeah. I didn't know about until I started doing yeah Dennis is incredible research. yeah he's so yeah so good so I just I wanted to know about your you know this wide variety of tastes and influences <laughs> where does it come from what what was it like growing up as an artist with all these voices growing in your head? up well I mean so how I kind of started writing was I started writing when I was like six, if not earlier than that. It was thank God for my parents. They had like huge libraries. My mom's library was more accessible than my dad's. It was in my dad's room. Like you better not go in there, like or else. Oh, like physically accessible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. But my mom, you know, would share books and stuff, and would buy us like our own books. Like every kind of look, I looked forward to like the end of every semester and also the beginning of every semester because we got like new books and we'll go to like bookstores and, you know, get more books. So that's, I kind of started reading a lot of just different stuff. And how I started writing was actually copying down like stories that I was reading that were like, you know, very exciting for me. And I also had like, like a giant dictionary and so like i would look up words that had like the same meaning Mm -hmm. and i would literally just like swap out like words like one of the earliest words that i remember is like learning about bowderdash for like another word for like nonsense uh and there was like a story of the tortoise like saying like nonsense and i just like made the tortoise say bowderdash It's an improvement, actually. Yeah. So the seven-year-old like, Ayo is like yeah, just plagiarizing just, word, word, yep, word for word, except for except the for like occasional changing of the words. Uh, <laughs> but also, it didn't help that you know, like Nigeria, you know, has a major because we were colonized by the by the British. So like you know, Queen's English was kind of the you know. So I was like cramming all these like big words. And using them for, like, stories about the rabbit and the tortoise. Yeah. I called this a memoir in the intro, but maybe it's not a memoir. It's so many things. It is. It is. It's not the typical (laughs) beginning to end. How did this idea come about for the book? And I guess tell us a little bit about it. Okay, So, Kindred, and, like, it was hard for me to, like, decide what it was, too. Um, And I'm just finding out this year... (laughs) That it's actually, that there is actually a name for this type of thing. I did not know uh, when I was working on it. Like, it kind of took like three plus years to work on. And then eventually, you know, 
put it out last year. I was just in my head thinking of how best can I tell these stories that I want, you know, that I wanted to tell. Uh, some of the times they came out in, you know, in the form of poems. Uh, other times they did not. But I, I did not want to sacrifice, you know, like my vision, my idea uh, for what I wanted, you know, to make it. Uh, and I also know... Uh, or I, I knew then that I wanted to like kind of incorporate some elements of stuff that I had in my journal uh, because the, the work, it was me trying to work uh, through a lot of my fears, uh, the, the things that I'm like absolutely scared of that I hadn't had the courage uh, up until then to like share with anybody. Um, and some of the nuances of what it means to be a human being uh, were not like as heavy in my previous work and mm -hmm. but I was like grappling with what it actually means to to be a person and to to come from a culture where certain things are expected of you uh to come from a family where certain things are expected of you uh to also kind of put this sense of responsibility upon yourself uh Mm. Yeah, it was kind of a lot. And I was trying to work out being like a person for myself, which kind of started like when I turned 23. So it was just kind of the progression of that where it's like now I'm my own person in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I get to determine like to a larger extent how I want my life to be. But a lot of that is like interrogating, you know, what you, you've grown up with for the past 23. 23 years yeah how do you uh, put, yeah, piece all of exactly. that together and still move forward exactly right so yeah. that was kind of my way of like navigating all of that uh so a lot of the book is about that it's really about exploring fear and the way i kind of talk about it which is where the title comes from kindred is i found out that a lot of the things that i'm scared of actually have something to do with my kin the people that are the closest to me mm. uh mm -hmm. not like always directly but sometimes indirectly so an example that i talk about is like um i'm scared of you know if it is success or failure for example mm -hmm. i'm more scared of success than i am failure uh but let's pick failure for example i'm scared of failure because i'm afraid that i'm gonna disappoint my parents mm. uh that they coming here to the united states and bringing me you know would have been in vain if i don't succeed uh and then the the reverse of that is like success is this huge thing, right? But if like what's what if that's not enough? Right. Uh, what if that's mm -hmm. not enough? And always like trying to get the the next thing so that they'll possibly eventually be proud of me. I don't know. I love yeah. that you leave space to space on the on the actual page for the reader to journal their own ideas. Right. That that, yes. that right. you know sometimes that's an implicit contract you make with your readers um that they're gonna have thoughts and feelings and yeah <laughs> um, responses but now yeah. you're saying hey why don't you step up to the plate yeah. and think about it yourself and yeah. and get some stuff down and too. The, the beginning guide is very clear like you're gonna have to do some work <laughs> do some work if mm -hmm. you're not ready to do work like this is not yeah, the book. this is not for you <laughs> uh, yeah. come back when you're braver exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Or, or maybe not even come back when you're braver like just get ready to work through like what it means to be mm -hmm. actually brave mm -hmm. to be actually right uh, you're brave, actually yeah. trusting yeah. that your reader is brave enough to you're just reminding them that they right, are that you are yeah. 
how do you write um, for both you know religious audiences and a secular audience and and you know I guess how do you broach that as a writer I was thinking about this and the honest que- the honest answer to that question is I don't uh, I just write for myself <laughs> <laughs> you like you uh, here here it is you guys yeah, figure it out. I don't I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't I don't worry myself about like oh is, is the spiritual audience going to you know have something to say about this or what about my non-spiritual readers like it's just yeah <laughs> i i don't worry about that uh, and also too like i kind of think about the spiritual elements because i mean that's my world that's how i you know that's what i grew up with and that's kind of what i have to draw from i mean i was raised in a christian home i'm still a christian and like in the same way that there are writers who draw from like myths like greek mythology and like roman mythology or whatever else is there and they don't necessarily consider like is this person from nigeria who's picking up their book like mm, gonna know. Is, yeah, yeah yeah you know like they don't really worry about that so why should uh, you so right why should i uh <laughs> if you want to know who jeremiah is like do some <laughs> research i don't know yeah yeah uh, google so yeah <laughs> but that's that's what i have to draw from and we all do that as writers the point is to make it as accessible as we can but mm-hmm. even then like it's not not everything is accessible 100 to everybody and that's that's fine yeah and that's on yeah. you the reader yeah mm-hmm. so I, I i talked in the intro about going to see going to see you read and then coming home and having the experience of reading it reading your work at home and it it felt like a completely different thing Did that it? <laughs> yeah I loved them both I loved mm-hmm. both experiences equally I think I you know read Kindred in one or two sittings um but I, I wanted to know how you moved from writer to spoken word poet uh, or was it the other way around or was it yeah I don't in my head at least there I go I, I don't know the difference mm. yeah I don't I don't know <laughs> wait I guess when did you know you were gonna be a poet uh I wasn't so I was always kind of like I said After like you always were done a writer rising yeah <laughs> oh I'm not done I'm not done no you were a writer and then a poet because I don't think you would have said balderdash out loud at the same with the same confidence that you wrote it <laughs> <laughs> it's just my inkling. <laughs> Maybe I'm projecting. I don't know. You don't know, six-year-old Ayo. I was, know. I was, I was like standing in front of the mirror, like bow to dash. In my, in my tower, like wrapped around me. <laughs> yeah. In a scepter. Yeah. We don't call uh, it. We don't call it plagiarizing. We call it sampling. Oh, know? sampling. <laughs> There's a whole school uh, like, <laughs> That's true. Uh, around That's that. True. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so like being moving from writer to to poet and also to like, I, I, <laughs> this is always kind of weird to me because I actually don't. So most of my work is like a lot of genre bending and it's me just trying to <laughs> find the, the best way really to tell the stories 
Uh, so like in my head, I don't even really know the difference between poetry and like creative nonfiction or very different from fiction for sure. Uh, but like from prose, for example, uh-huh. or like an essay, I, I, I was making this joke recently and I said, I think my poems are actually essays with just line breaks. Essays of line breaks. I think that's what they are. They're uh-huh. lyric essays, but mm-hmm. they're still in my head, at least. Yeah. So, like, that's still something that I'm still trying to figure out, uh-huh. to be honest. But, but still, but there's to, something yeah, different to, from to, coming to, out of yeah. a dark room with your with your pad of paper onto a stage, which you command. Well, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes, pretty oh, readily. Yes. Thank you. I, I do I do have, so all that to say, like, I do have background in, like, writing plays. I've written screenplays before. When I was younger, like, 10, I was directing plays for my local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. like, I have the background of, like, the stage. And I've always been interested in talking, you know, growing up in church. There were moments where, you know, you would teach sermons. We would have like children week and someone was responsible as a kid, you know, well, the children were responsible for that whole Sunday of uh-huh. being the usher, uh-huh. the choir member, uh-huh, like all of that, yeah. right? So I got experience with that. And also the random like memory verses where you're asked to like recite, you know, Bible verses from memory. So like I've had experience with yeah, but a lot most of people that. just mumble their way through that. No. Like I hope oh, I, I don't serious. forget. I, I was can serious. imagine. Oh, you were. I was very yeah. very serious. About I bet this. the other kids were like, oh, yeah, man. I was very very serious. <laughs> I gotta about go after Io. Like First John, like was like in the beginning was the oh, like I was so good at, at this. Uh, <laughs> no, no doubt of that. <laughs> uh, but so moving from writer to poet, like at first I really didn't start calling myself a poet. Because that was still kind of new ground. Uh, but I would say, like, the years have changed. Like, every time I've been asked this, at first I thought it was, like, 2012. Because that's probably when I started writing poems that I would call good. I saw poems from, like, 2010 that were, like, yeah. <laughs> 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 so I was attempting you like 2010 yeah 2010 I on the back like, I was keep like going. Uh, yeah. <laughs> keep going buddy yeah. it was like I saw I saw one recently and it was like does thou dost speak and I'm like what are, uh, what are you doing uh, yeah but yeah God bless that child uh, <laughs> This one is called Belong. My head is a ghost town, which is to say I have ghosts in my head. I mean, I have friends who are now ghosts, but they sometimes still dress themselves as alive in my head. Okay, what I mean is I still think about my ghosts. I mean, my friends. I mean, the ghosts of my friends who've taken off their alive. 
used to be their favorite coat, but then God took it from them or they told God they didn't want it no more. Some nights, my heart is a town full of coats. I mean, my heart is full of my friends. My friends too are full of friendly ghosts, same thing. I have friends too that are still alive, but my God, do they wear themselves out with the way they force their bodies into the coat that is this endless desire to make their breath worth something, my God. I forget too much to remind them their breath is worth something. Too much, I forget you, my God. My God, to me, you have been a good God. But I hear some of my friends say they cannot say the same. I say, holy, holy are you, O God. The way you hung your favorite coat on a cross. So my guess is the cross must be a closet. And God's son is a coat. The way I wrap him around my heart. Still can't quite wrap it around my head. How he covers my shame. And presents me holy and whole before the whole town. And just in case this town isn't big enough for me and my friends, I'll create me a new country. Belong is a country. So come, all you rejects and weirdos, this is where you belong. Here, in this new country with me. It's like this. It's my country, but it could very well be yours too. Yes, ours will be a country that is ours here. With no peace and love and stay and love and peace and joy at the port. We'll leave all our burdens here. We'll be given new robes here. We'll be brave, brave enough to wear our skin inside out, brave enough to let our bones breathe, brave enough to be, brave enough to be as we are, brave enough to be enough, 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 brave, brave enough to don the glorious and the broken of our human like the latest trend here will know no shame. Our language will be belong. Welcome. We'll be here. We'll be stay. We'll be leave. All your baggages at the port will be there. Not welcome here. No, that sounds terrible. So I say it like this. We'll be there is no room for them here to stay. We'll be, even if somehow they got in, we'll still welcome you in. Baggages and all. We'll never threaten to kick you out or ask you to leave and go back to where you're from because really, no matter how you got here, this has always been, will always be where you are from, where you belong. Oh, thank you. Thank this, you. this kind of goes right back to that question, that last question, um, which was, after this poem in the book, you leave space for your reader to talk right. about their country, right. the picture of the new country they're creating. Um, so I wanted to know about the new country in your mind. <laughs> so this one is a it's 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 a little hard. Also, I thought about it a lot. And I think, like, the new country I would like is a country that allows myself, like, all of myself to be in. And that also includes, like, perceived failures and actual failures. And it's it's a country that would allow space uh, for me. And all my fears, all my worries, all my anxieties, 
and right now with a lot of shift happening in my life a lot of changes there's a lot more anxiety there's a lot more fear yeah than before and i want to allow space for that mm. um yeah it seems like i guess it becomes difficult to have all of those internal fears against the landscape of what's happening in the actual world <laughs> that's that's yeah. um a place that's hard to find hope, I think. Mm-hmm. And so we, before you came on the show, before you got here, we were talking about um, poetry in the world, the place of poetry in the world, right. and how I do find hope in these pages, mm-hmm. in in your poetry and the the um, work of Dennis Smith. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned to Jess and Fu before it started about that. I don't know if you did. You have a chance to look at that Helen Mirren. Read Tennyson on the on not the Tonight Show Colbert on the Colbert Show. No, I did not. It's this great clip of of Helen Mirren, you know, reading this poem by Tennyson that really moves Stephen Colbert, and it's it's beautiful and wondrous. But there's also a lot of other poetry out there that is appealing to sort of the pop world, Mm -hmm. you know. And say what you want about Atticus on Instagram or Rupi Kaur, right. who's doing what she's doing on Instagram. And there are a lot of people right. who are who are following them, and this and this kind of poetry is speaking to them too. And yeah, I think Nayira there's Nayira Wahid. Um, yeah. Yeah. How do we continue to weave the fabric that poetry has in our lives into a more daily existence? And I don't know if you can answer this question, but it's one that we, t- right. you know, yeah, how can anyone answer like, this yeah, question? Think about. But it's one that uh, we think about a yeah. lot here, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think if you're a poet, you probably think about that. Or a writer, just mm-hmm. in general. Or an artist, just period. Uh, you think about, sure. if not your work, like how, you know. Sometimes thinking about it, you're thinking about, you know, like, there are doubts and, like, is this even worth it? Why even, why art, right? Mm-hmm. There's always articles uh, every day about, you know, why poetry, why art, why music, mm-hmm. why this, why that. Uh, and I think, like, now more than ever, like, people are kind of looking towards really anything to give them, you know, the sense of, like, the fact that they're not alone and experiencing mm-hmm. like what they're experiencing and i think poetry is like a good place to come to for that uh because it's not prescriptive like you know no one is saying do this and then your life is gonna be magical but uh <laughs> i wish <laughs> right we all do uh but mm. poetry kind of grapples with the reality you know mm. that we kind of want to escape it's one of the things where you know we, you talk about hope and you know i find that in other people's work as well but also like there is a danger of just like portraying this kind of hope that's like all bliss and like everything's gonna mm-hmm. be better but that's not the reality the reality is like if you're going to have hope you like there is also like despair working alongside that mm-hmm. there's also sadness there's also grief uh and poetry kind of allows us like grapple with all those things at the same time to quote mm-hmm. Denez, you know like and it's an epigraph before the section the last section of the book too you know Denez says uh hope is hard but i have it and before that james baldwin you know, it's like i can't afford despair you can't tell the children you can't tell my niece mm-hmm. i can't tell my nephew that there is no hope 
mm. you know and that's kind of what we come to art for to kind of remind us that we're not alone uh, in our struggles um, yeah it's, it seems like it's not just like empty hope like some people think of hope in the same way as people think of progress right. oh yeah we right. hope it's going to get better right. we hope there's no consequences right. of this and, and it's uh, it's not that type of hope right Right. It's it's a. I mean, to hope, right, is to is to have like a, a kind of faith that does not lose sight of reality. Like, cause why hope mm-hmm. in the first place if everything is great? You know, uh, right. a lot of people think hope is this kind of flippant. Like, oh, everything's gonna be alright. No, you're hoping because things are not alright, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and you're wanting to create a new world. And hope kind of allows us to to get there because you know why fight, why march, why mm-hmm. why write? You yeah. know, if you don't have hope that things are gonna uh, are gonna change. Um, yeah, so. I would argue that only the oppressed can really have hope. Yeah, yeah, I agree. If you're comfortable, like what is there to yeah? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about bringing poetry to younger audiences? appealing to um people as they come up to to skip the like twitter sphere or wait is it a sphere it's a verse twitter verse what is it i have no I idea don't know. <laughs> skip the mindlessness and and engage right. and and work towards that i'll flip that question i think rather than bringing uh poetry to younger folks i guess is that's the question mm-hmm. coming to them to listen to the poetry that they already have mm. is yeah. probably a better use of our time because they they actually do have that are uh, our challenges that we don't listen to them mm. we really do not uh recently there was this brave uh new voices event uh in houston like a few weeks ago and it's this international poetry uh, convention that happens like across the world, mm-hmm. and you have people from like Canada. Yeah, the pe- cities yeah. had to bid on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have people from like Trinidad and Tobago. These are like thirteen to nineteen year old kids. I, you know, we call them kids, but really, you know, like there is that saying about like kids are the future, and we just say, you know, just casually. But like over the course of that weekend, I was there just listening to this, you know, youths. And I was like, they have all the answer. <laughs> like they really yes. do. Yes. Like, but we're not paying attention enough to actually listen to what they have to say. I think a better job, a better use of our time really is to facilitate like what they already have and help them realize that they have a voice mm-hmm. as opposed to bringing them, you know, bringing them the tools uh, to use is probably a lot more effective use of our time instead than, of gathering yeah, them up exactly. to listen at the feet exactly. of yeah I, I got yeah. so upset after listening to like to there was a particular uh, bout that I was supposed to judge and I was so glad because I, I went to go get food and so like by the time I got there like they already had enough judges so I had to sit back I was like, I am so glad I did not have to judge that because they were mm. all so good. Oh, man. It would have been just a struggle. Just, just enjoy. Yeah, right. it would have been a struggle to be like, <laughs> what do I give this? Uh-huh. You know, but also to like, what I appreciated was the nuance that adults don't have. 
adults are kind of just like, yeah, everything sucks, right? Right. But these kids are like, <laughs> like engaging with what it means to like, to be a human being, which is like a lot of nuance, a lot of contradictions. And maybe it's because they are not aware of the fact that someone's gonna probably like, oh no, you can't. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas as an adult, you have to have an opinion on everything and not leave room for, I don't know, or not leave room mm-hmm. for, I, why do I need to have an opinion on this? Right. You know, someone did an ode to socks. And <laughs> yeah, an ode mm. to socks, and I nearly teared up. <laughs> And I was like, what is wrong with you? He's just talking about socks. But it was it was so complex because uh-huh. there was a line where it was like, Thank you for allowing me to feel everything. And I was like, Oh man. What? Are we still talking about socks? Yes. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, so they 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 have the answers. I was like, I don't want to hear another poem from it. another adult ever ever again. <laughs> oh. I got so I got so upset, and people were looking at me like you're straight. I was like, if you were in that room, you would understand right now. I was like, f your poems, f your notebook, f your pen. Like you too, Aya. Like burn all your poems. What are you doing? Yeah. So the kids are going to be all right. They're going to be fine. So the last little section we have is the books for what ails you. These are, these are the books that help us feel better when when all the adults are telling us <laughs> shit is real bad. And it is. <laughs> Everything is. <laughs> news news flash, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so uh, what's the book that changed the way you see the world? There, are, Thankfully, there have been a lot of books. Yeah. It's um, a good problem to have. Yeah. Yes. Thankfully, there have been. But I'll pick uh, all the books by Brené Brown. Yeah. All of it, especially the gift of imperfection. imperfection, which is like my, which was my first introduction to her. Uh, yeah, radically changed my life. I'm reading uh, Rising Strong right now, and I've read all her books except one, that was targeted towards women specifically. Eventually, I'll read it, but it's a I good just, one too. yeah, um, but I just haven't read it. But every other book by her, I have read. She's so. amazing. She, oh, she's, she's incredible. A book Sorry. that you can't wait to share with your child, should you have one? Uh, I probably, this is, uh, okay, preface. It's not considered mine, uh, Kindred. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that would be a book that I, Yes. That's a book I can't wait to share. I'm actually yes. waiting for my youngest brother to be like a little bit older mm-hmm. uh, so that I can. Yeah, there are things in there that I just really haven't shared with anybody because uh-huh. uh-huh. I, yeah, I'm thinking about like what it means to be a man. I'm thinking about manhood. Yeah. I'm thinking about all of that stuff. So that's if I were to have a son or a daughter, even um, like that's something. I, that's something I actually really do look forward. 
A book that you return to again and again, like your favorite record. I'm not so much of a good rereader, just because it takes me a while to actually read a book. <laughs> uh, like done, check. Yeah, it, it takes a while because I'm like taking notes and I'm doing unnecessary extra research. Uh, <laughs> what would you like to reread again if you had the chance? I recently reread. Well, I've reread like a few books. One is called The Art of Possibility. Uh, by mm. Benjamin Zander. Um, I don't know if he still is, but at the time, at least, he was a composer. Mm. Uh, no, a conductor, rather. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, and he wrote this book about, like, leadership, and but it's much more than just leadership in the sense of, like, organization. It's also, like, leadership, you know, like, about leading, you know, your own life. And, and so that's a good one that I have reread maybe three times, at least. And also, there's another book uh, by a woman called Oriah Mountain Dreamer uh, called The Invitation. She has like three books, The Invitation, mm. The Call, and The Dance. And I've read... Oh my gosh, I want to read yeah. all of those books. It, yeah. They're really good. Mm. I started rereading The Dance recently, uh, but like those are all books that I have reread, The Invitation especially. I'm obsessed with dance, so I'm any any book title that has that as a title is it's a good metaphor for life sure yeah it really is as zadie smith has written so nicely <laughs> yeah i was just thinking about zadie smith favorite record you return to again and again like your favorite book <laughs> anything by chance the rapper yeah. finish fill in the blank there are two kinds of people in the world people who like blank and people who like I was excited for this one. <laughs> I'm very excited. So there are people who <laughs> like Anders Carlson, uh, Carlson Wee, uh, and there are people who like Ai Ogawa. I don't know either of these people. Either one. Oh, Drew. Is that because, why? Is that because I'm an unwoke white person? No. Uh, recent, well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <I'm... laughs> Perhaps, maybe, maybe it is because you are. It's like the whole know. purpose this of this is, podcast. This is, is interesting, <laughs> oh, and it's also interesting that you brought that up. So okay. I'll Let's give you the. It. Let's have it, Io. <laughs> so recently, the Nation published a poem uh, by Anders Carlson uh, Wee uh, that kind of so Anders is a white poet. But he was using like African American vernacular in the poem, oh, wow. and it wasn't even consistent. And people don't actually even talk like that. Uh, it was like, if you poor, say you is black. Like, it's like, oh no, uh, I yeah, remember this. Yeah, this so it's was like, a big thing on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so okay. it, it was a very, very strange poem, and like, then. Then the other guy comes back and writes the poem as it should have Dante been. Dante Collins, yeah, yes. who is incredible. Oh, okay, by the I've got to read these. Uh, I've got to get yeah. up on my poetry. Yeah, Dante news. is incredible. Uh, okay, you should go get his book called The Autopsy. Okay. I think that's what it's called. But yeah, okay. so Anders did that, and he was like, you know, I, I don't know. Then there was this whole conversation about persona, like. Why can't we write whatever? Aren't we writers? Don't we get to write whatever, you know, 
we want and it's like no, yeah you good. can but also like, <laughs> but also like be responsible you right. know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. and also oh, actually good. do your like Research, nobody talks work. like that uh-huh. and it wasn't even consistent because it switches from like that and then starts talking like good grammar you know but it's supposed to be mm-hmm. about this homeless person and it's like dude just make up your mind you, you can't know? have both right? you can't have both and also, yeah, you can write, you can write whatever you want. Just know that you could be criticized. Yeah. You're, you know, For then sure. once it enters the public sphere, then, sure. you know, yeah. For sure. So discourse, enter discourse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. Uh, but Ayogawa is uh, a late poet, but was very remarkable with persona. That's all she actually really ever did. She, she oh my gosh! Like, I totally. I studied yeah. her. I studied her in graduate school. Yeah. She has like How books of advice and yes. yeah, like a series of books that is just said, like she's like she persona. only writes in persona. That's, that's right. what she does. Okay, but right. she does it masterfully. Uh, even if it's not the stories that have anything to do with her, but just yeah. the responsibility of talking about stories because the whole point of persona is to like remind us of our of our shared humanity right and like when that the nation poem it's came out yeah 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 Yeah. and then my right she's not she's not african-american right Uh, she she is but also like japanese and also native american and also okay yeah she's like okay yeah so she is the perfect person to write about persona because I, she yeah, she I, is diversity. She embodies diversity. Yeah. Okay, because I, I I remember thinking of her as Japanese. Yeah, she has yeah, a wide range of. How about she, it? Yeah, she's written about that too. Like how she's like one percent of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Can she be president? Oh, she's dead though. <laughs> <laughs> there is no, that no. problem. There's, there's yeah. such a thing as dead precedents <laughs> that these rappers talk about all the time. I know nothing about that. Uh, best life advice you ever got? My memory is crap, so I don't <laughs> like really remember stuff. I thought that was the. I thought that was the best. Oh, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Memory is crap. <laughs> I was like, that is so profound. <laughs> Where are we going? Burn everything. <laughs> All right, that's burn. it. That's the best burn advice I ever got. Yeah, for myself. <laughs> Io, what's what's next for you on the horizon? Um. <laughs> Speaking of mission statements. Uh, aside from like overwhelming sense of uncertainty. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yay, existentialism. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, minus that, uh, I'm looking forward to possibly travel a little bit because uh, I do have a little, I'm taking time off for myself right now from work uh, and just kind of, I guess, fine tuning, you know, direction and like trying to get a sense of, you know, what I want to do next. Um, I did get a residency uh, with the MacDowell Colony. Congrats. Oh, awesome. Thank Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Well so deserved. November, December, I will be in New Hampshire, like in a cabin. It's snow. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, isn't that in Middlebury? Isn't that in Vermont? 
no, it's in New Hampshire. Uh, oh, Peter, New Hampshire. Yeah, okay. Petersburg. Well, one of those small New England states, you know, interchangeable. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll be freezing while yes. trying to write poems and essays with line breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, best of luck to you. It was such Thank a pleasure you. to have you on the Thank show. You. Thank, Thank you for coming you. Thank out. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. Thank you. Effing Shakespeare is brought to you on the backs of the harried, unpaid, and not-quite-starving artists that make up Bloomsday Literary, and also the good people at Houston Creative Space. Photography, video, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. And by Audible. Stop angry tweeting in traffic. I'm looking at you, Ford Fusion, going west on I-10. Listen to us, and then when you're done, listen to an audiobook from Audible. A title we recommend is Rachel Cusk's exceptional trilogy, beginning with book one, Outline. Effing Shakespeare listeners get a free title with a new membership. Go to audibletrial.com slash Shakespeare and read more widely today. Chancellor the rapper, Chatham the hood, Santa the children, had to bag up the goods. They say I'm saving my city, say I'm staying for good. They streaming channel for mayor, I'm thinking maybe I should. It's a good thing to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here I am on the wrong side, also being recorded. So when he's editing, he'll know. He'll find out. He'll That's know right. my, my real feelings. I love you, too. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>